0: Cut the clutter today is taking you very far away, to a very distant part of the world. Geographically distant, physically distant, you might even say strategically distant from India. But at the same time, very important. Now, remember two things. Before you ask me, why are we talking about Guyana of all places? Guyana, the third smallest country in South America. Why are we talking about Guyana? So, and... How do I introduce Guyana to you? So I can, I can ask you, I can, I can introduce Guyana to you in terms of cricket or in terms of oil politics. Oil politics because Guyana has just been hit hit by the resource curse, resource curse or resource blessing, any which way it turns out. And this resource discovery is a 2015 onwards discovery of offshore oil. This is at least 11 billion barrels of Offshore oil, all offshore, away from its shore in Atlantic Ocean. Now, with this, it has started producing some oil. It's started producing about about three lakh three lakh barrels a day, which is about a one third of what is seen as its peak capacity, which it may reach in a year or so. Now, to put this in perspective, a million barrels a day will not be a lot when it comes to say India's needs. India today imports about or Consumes about 5 billion barrels a day. It imports about 4.5, 4.4 billion barrels a day. So it's a, it's, it's, it's a big oil consuming country, but still think about, think about how much oil will little Guyana add to the global basket. This will affect global oil prices also. So with even a million barrels per day or about a million barrels per day, this will become the fourth largest offshore oil producer in the world offshore. Remember, who are the largest offshore oil producers right now? Saudi Arabia. That's a surprise. You th- you would have thought Saudi Arabia mostly produces onshore oil. But yes, offshore also, they are the largest, followed by Brazil, then Mexico, then Norway. So one, when little Guyana reaches its peak, it will leave, leave Norway behind. It will be the fourth largest offshore producer. Now, you may also want to know where does it place Guyana in the hierarchy of global oil producers? If you see the ranking of nations by crude oil reserves, the global ranking of nations by cl- crude oil reserves, Guyana will still be quite far down. So, number one will be its neighbor, its much bigger neighbor, Venezuela, with about, with about 304 billion barrels of oil. 304 billion barrels is Venezuela. Guyana is 11 billion. So, you wonder what's going on. Why is Venezuela fighting with? Guyana in this case it's fighting with Guyana over a large large chunk not even a chunk in fact for most of Guyana's territory more than two-thirds of Guyana's territory very thinly populated two-thirds territory inhabiting 16 percent that is less than one out of eight of Guyanese In that territory, that is the territory which is abutting the part of Atlantic Ocean where these offshore oil reserves have been found because, you know, the principle of territorial waters and then exclusive economic zone. If Venezuela was able to acquire control over this territory, then they will also get this crude oil that is another 12 billion barrels worth. Now you might say the country already has 304 billion barrels. How much, how much will it benefit by having another 12 billion? But the fact is, first of all, more oil doesn't hurt. However much oil you might have, even more oil doesn't hurt. The other thing is that Venezuela is going to go through elections next year. Venezuela also has a government which is a Dictatorial sort of government, or let me say a dictatorial government. Lots of dissidents are in jail. It's also a government and a regime under sanctions. This regime was accused by the Western world, particularly particularly the US, of having stolen the last election. That is when Nicolas Maduro, the current leader, he came into power. And that's when the Americans imposed sanctions on Venezuela and America and its allies actually recognized not Nicolas Maduro as the leader of Venezuela but Juan Guido who, who he had quote unquote defeated at that point of time. Now it is in that situation that Venezuela is going to go through its next election and for to win that election maduro who's very unpopular how unpopular can a man be i will give you some ideas because you think that if inflation is high people get unhappy venezuela is the global champion for inflation in fact it will be a dead heat between venezuela and zimbabwe each one going up at some point of time but venezuela i don't know anybody can break that record in 2018 Inflation rate in Venezuela was hold your breath and there's no typo here. I've not got two a couple of a couple of zeros or three zeros or four zeros come in just like that. They've not been smuggled in. I haven't missed a decimal somewhere. It is one lakh thirty thousand percent inflation was 130000% in 2018 and then you heard stories about people even being forced to eat whatever they could whatever they whatever they could lay hands on people were taking money in wheelbarrows almost literally people were also making souvenirs out of their currency notes because, because currency had lost all value even in 2022 you might say that inflation had moderated but it had moderated to 234% it's a lot of inflation in india in india if it gets to 6% it begins to hurt and reserve bank then starts to tighten interest rates right in this case 234 also looked like a great improvement over 1 lakh percent so it is that lack that loss of popularity that maduro thing he can only cover up by igniting nationalist passions. And what has it done to ignite nationalist passions? This region in Guyana. Guyana is a small country. seat on the map. If you look at the big South American landmass, Guyana is really tiny. It's 2,15,000 square kilometers. 70% of that or maybe 71% of that is a region called Kibo. Essequibo is the region which is to the west of the river Essequibo. See that river, right? To the, the other side of the river, to the other side of the river is Georgetown, which is the capital of Guyana. We are very familiar with that. A lot of cr- cricket matches, famous cricket Test matches have been held there. All the region to the west of Essequibo, most of the Guyanese landmass, or more than third per- or more than two-thirds of the Guyanese landmass. Venezuela now claims to be its own and Venezuela says that we've been claiming it for 100 years, 150 years. Historically, this was our territory. We were done out of this. We were We were muscled out of this by a collaboration of Western colonialists. That story I will tell you a little bit more of. Now, the other distinctive thing about Guyana is that Guyana is an English speaking country. It is the only Anglophone country in South America for the simple reason that it was the only British colony there. Abutting it is a Dutch colony that is a former Dutch colony colony that's Suriname. Next to Suriname is French Guyana that is That was a French colony as the name indicates, and most of the other colonies, other countries were either Spanish colonies as say as say Venezuela, or Portuguese colonies, as say Brazil. So if you see Guyana on the map, to the west of Guyana is Venezuela, to the south-southwest of Guyana is Brazil, to the east of Guyana is. Suriname, that's where this country is located. So one, it's an English speaking country. But what follows then is, you know, cricket, you know, cricket is a game of English speaking countries and former English colonies. So Guyana is also a very strong cricket playing country, except Guyana does not play by itself as a, as a national team. Guyana is an integral and a very important part member of the West Indies Cricket team. And that's the reason I had said earlier on that if I really wanted to get you focused on Guyana, I had the choice of starting with oil. I started with oil simply because that is where geostrategic issues come in. You know, the you know, you know, the big powers go or trouble goes where oil is. Or I said I could get you focused through cricket. So, cricket, let's not forget that. Doesn't matter what generation you are. If you are like my father's generation, you, you would have known Basil Butcher, Rohan Kanhai, Lance Gibbs, my father's generation, partly my generation as well. Uh, I saw Lance Gibbs also when it came, when he came to India in late 60s, early 70s. So, Landscapes, Basil Butcher, Rohan Kanhai. And I will tell you a story about Rohan Kanhai towards the conclusion of this episode. Landscapes, Rohan Kanhai, Basil Butcher, if you are like my father's generation or of of a generation when I was a kid. Then if you're my generation, you would know Clive Lloyd. In fact, every generation knows Clive Lloyd. Clive Lloyd, who won two World Cups and then lost one to India in 1983. Clive Lloyd, the b spectacle big guy, that was Guyanese. Roy Fredericks, the opener. Then across generations, across my generation and after Alvin Kalicharan, Colin Croft, the fast bowler and if you are a little bit more contemporary than Shimron Hetmeyer who now you see in T20 etc. Kimo Paul, Devendra Bishu, Ram Nuresh Sarwan, Karl Hooper, Faud Bakas and the scourge of Indian cricket for a very long time. For the longest time, Shimdarayan Chandra Paul. In fact, we used to say that one thing Indian bowlers are not designed to do, they don't have the software to do is to get Shiv Narayan Chandrapal out. Sometimes that principle used to apply to Kumara Sangakara as well. But Shiv Narayan Chandrapal, perhaps the most unconventional batter until we saw Steve Smith come out for Australia. All of these are Guyanese. Indian cricket teams have been going and playing in Guyana on their West Indies tours. The other important thing, the other important factor about Guyana is its demographics. So not only is it the only English speaking nation on the South American continent, It also has a very large Indian origin population. So about 44% of Guyana's population, precisely I think about 43.5% of Guyana's population is a population of native Indians. These were Indians who had been taken there by the British, by the British colonial power to work on their plantations, mostly sugar plantations. Guyana was so far... Only an agrarian economy, a very poor country, agrarian economy. And this, these poor Indians from, from Bhojpur regions in Bihar, some from eastern Uttar Pradesh, many from Tamil Nadu, etc. They had been taken there as indentured labor. They settled down there. Guyana got its freedom from the British in 1966. After that, As usual, like many other former colonies, it went through many political upheavals, dictatorial regimes. Finally, it matured into a democracy. And there, as I read about Guyanese politics, I noticed that identity became a very important denominator of its politics. And that's why the Indian community, which was the largest and the most cohesive, they they came to dominate this politics. And this came to be described as... Apna jaat politics. Apna jaat not, not as in Apni Jati, as in Apni caste, but my identity. So I read, I read stuff on Guyanese websites and in Guyanese media. They describe this as the crudest way of describing this as black for, for black. Kuli for Kuli because Kuli was the pejorative that in the British times was used for endangered labor. So Indians, people of Indian origin will vote for people of Indian origin. People of African origin will vote for African origin. And in that process, people of Indian origin have dominated Guyana's politics. In fact, Muhammad Irfan Ali at the last Pravasi Bharti Devas was given the top honor or the top prize. So about 43%, 43.5% of Indian origin. Of these, about 85% are Hindu and the remaining about 15% are Muslim. Now you see who's ruling, who are the leaders of Guyana now. The leaders of Guyana, the president is Muhammad Irfan Ali of Indian origin. Irfan with a double a, irf double a n mohammed irfan ali is the president and bharat jagdeo bharat with a double R, B H A R R A T, Bharat Jagdeo is the vice president so if 43.5 percent are of indian origin who are the rest so a lot of these are african guyanese they were again endangered laborers and they were part of the slave trade people who were brought in from parts of africa and then there are some native communities and other communities brought in from elsewhere remember very little of guyana is habitable. It's just a strip along the coast that is habitable. Otherwise, it's very thickly wooded. It has one of the richest rainforest regions in the world. So what is the issue between Venezuela and Guyana? We are not talking in detail about Venezuela today, but they are essential to the story we are telling you today. Because Guyana has discovered this oil in Esequibo region, Venezuela now says that all of this region is theirs. They say that they are victims of a land theft conspiracy by Britain, Russia, US. They said that British, Russia, US got together in 1899 and they carried out some kind of arbitration and awarded this land and awarded this land. To british guyana this land was earlier in control of the dutch so these were arrangements made amongst the big powers of the day in these negotiations venezuelans said that they were not present because because they were represented by the us in 1966 when guyana became independent once again venezuela raised this, this issue and an agreement was signed between britain venezuela and what was then british guyana on the eve of independence that they will they resolve to peacefully settle this problem in the course of time so the guyanese say this issue was settled in 1899 after the award of this multinational arbitration The Venezuelans, on the other hand, say that the 1966 accord had made the 1899 award irrelevant. And history began again in 1966. Now, what has Maduro done? Maduro has now said, this is my territory. He also held a hurried referendum in his country, where he claims that 95% people have voted in favor of Venezuela, annexing Esequibo, the entire region, and... He says he'll, he's going to rename it Guyana-Esequibo. It will be part of Venezuela that all the residents of Esequibo will be given Venezuelan citizenship. He has warned all the foreign companies. ExxonMobil has been the first of the blocks, though. All the foreign companies who have bid for oil concessions, for oil drilling concessions of Esequibo, offshore of Esequibo, to clear away from there. And he's told his own public sector oil companies, all his companies are public sector companies, to start making bids to drill in the Esequibo region. Now, as things have begun to look rough, the Americans have moved in. Venezuela, Maduro is very friendly, as you would expect with Russia, with Putin and Russia, and also with China, Xi Jinping. So, so once again, it's a case of energy politics taking geostrategic tensions into yet another region, in this case, Southern America. China and Russia are with Maduro. In fact, Maduro is going to be expected to be visiting Russia later, th- l- later this month. And the Americans are backing Guyana. In fact, so much so that the US armed forces have also carried out joint exercises with Guyanese armed forces. They'll be very Small armed forces because remember the size of the population. And that will also give you an idea of the lack of parity between the two countries. Guyana is all of 8 lakh people. 8 lakh people. Venezuela is 2.8 crore people. So 28 million versus 0.8. 8 million. What has happened, on the other hand, is because of the oil fine, their, their GDP has been growing very fast because oil has completely revolutionized their economy. And, and as, as more and more oil comes out, this will also become a petrostate of some sort, although it will continue to have its agricultural strength because remember, it produces a lot of sugar. You go to many of the fancier restaurants and hotels, you will find in your sachets something called Demerara sugar. Demerara sugar usually. A bit like our shakkar as we call it in north of India or in Hindi. But Demerara is a large region, a large sugarcane growing region in Guyana. That's where the name comes from. Venezuela with 2.8 crore people, 28 million people or GDP, which by the way has declined Declined 75% since 2014. Now it may have declined. If you see the Western sources, they say it has declined because of first Chavez's Hugo Chavez's and then Nicolas Maduro's mismanagement of his oil wells, nationalization of oil exploration, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and oil drilling, etc. Whereas if you ask the left side, they will say that this has happened mainly because the Americans have carried out the most brutal sanctions on Venezuela. Any which way Venezuela is a country with hyper hyper super hyper inflation and also a declining GDP. That is where the leader is searching for a re-election. For that re-election he needs to drive up the nationalism quotient in this country and that's why that's why and that's why the claims over such a large territory in his neighboring country, in his very small and weak neighboring country have now caused this commotion. All of this change, all of this change in in this corner of South America, the reason which has taken us all the way to Guyana for a reason other than cricket, right? For cricket, we Indians have gone there a lot. This is the first time we are going there For a reason beyond cricket and if I may be honest, very important, more important than cricket because India now is looking to diversify its sources of crude oil. On Venezuela, the Americans have just relaxed sanctions a little bit simply because they now know that they can't be sanctioning everybody. They've sanctioned Iran. They've sanctioned Russia. They had already sanctioned Venezuela. So three of the biggest producers in the world were sanctioned. That was putting pressure on oil prices. So they are slowly lifting sanctions over Venezuela and India started importing from there. How much is India's interest in Venezuela in India were very friendly with Venezuela in the past, particularly in the UPA era. That's when Hugo Chavez had come into India. He had been taken to JNU and you had students, faculty, a lot of people, as you would expect to JNU, all with their fists up shouting red salute, red salute for Hugo Chavez. He was seen as a kind of leader that the left, the Indian left, might have wanted to see in India as well. Nevertheless, it was because of the deep interests with Venezuela. Remember, in New Delhi, in the general extended Chanakipuri area diplomatic enclave, an avenue has been named after Simon Bolivar, the revolutionary founder of the modern Venezuelan state. In fact, it is called the Bolivarian state of Venezuela. So there... ONGC Videsh had made sizable investments. If I go to the ONGC Videsh website, I see at least two assets that ONGC Videsh had purchased there. I understand from reading whatever I'm reading that nearly $500 million worth is owed to ONGC Videsh from its from its Venezuelan assets and chances are now with the lifting of the sanctions, some of this will start coming back and India is resuming importing crude oil from Venezuela. It's in that situation that Guyana, which has a strong Indian tradition, Indian leadership, where India has strong cultural ties, has also found oil. So what India, What would India want? India would want to have friendly relations with both. And at the same time, keep buying crude oil from both the countries because India's needs are very large. India is a very large country. It can't be dependent on one country or two countries or three countries or just a small set of countries for all all its crude oil needs. Today, it's Russia on the one hand and Gulf countries on the other. India really valued South American oil, particularly Venezuelan oil. The oil coming from that region is what is called as heavy crude oil and Indian refineries, some of India's modern refineries, both in the public and the private sector, are among the few refineries, a small number of refineries in the world, which are very good at refining this heavy crude oil. So India is really looking forward to these supplies resuming. And also, at the same time, India also has a strong vested interest in conflict not breaking out in South America or a big power rivalry not hitting that part of South America. At the same time, India has a strong stake in preserving Guyana as the state that it is. And since I told you earlier that in conclusion, I will tell you my Rohan Kanhai story. So here it is. In 1983, India Today magazine where I worked, it had assigned me to go and write a cover story on Sunil Gavaskar. That's when Gavaskar scored his 20th 100 in Delhi. And for the first time, he used his cap, right, and started hooking. So I spent some time with his family in Mumbai or Bombay then. Then I saw his son, 1983, so 40 years back, right, he was a kid. The son was named Rohan. He was named Rohan after Rohan Kenai. Who Sunil Gavaskar greatly admired. Now, when I came back and wrote that, wrote that story, I remembered that Rohan Gavaskar batted left-handed. A kid Rohan Gavaskar, I saw him playing. He was at, at home, like a kid playing left-handed. So, I don't know why absent-minded, also because there was no Google, but that should have been no excuse because as a cricket enthusiast, I should have known better. And I said that Sunil and Marchil have a son who bats left-handed Like the West Indian idol, he's been named after and after that, I got so many letters from people. Mercifully, there was no internet at that point, no Twitter, no nothing. Or or I would have had much bigger embarrassment to face, but still so many letters came from people saying that, look, if you claim to be a cricket enthusiast, you should at least know that Rohan Kanhai was not left-handed. He was right-handed. So you know what happens sometimes in journalism? You make simple errors. And those simple errors haunt you through your life. So this is one of those in my case. And you know what? This involves a Guyanese.